Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hello and welcome to another episode of IRC Book Club. I think probably episode 104, Mike. Brilliant. Feels Very like exciting. it. Having read this one. You feel like we, we, we've been making a lot of episodes having read this one. Yeah, yeah, I do. Anyway, oh, I'm sorry to t- steal uh, your thunder. Go on, you need t- to do your little intro bit and all the rest of it. A tough start to this month's series of shows. So this month, we are covering Coaching Winning Sales Teams by Pickford, Chapman and Smith. So, so I've got the back excited. Story, the backstory, listeners, is that Jonathan Graham loves Leeds Rhinos more than anything else. And this man, Tony Smith, was a Leeds... Uh, no interrupt, Jonathan. Was a Leeds <laughs> Rhinos coach um, who had a magic hat or something and won loads of titles. So when the book came out, Johnny went, oh, let's get this really good hardback book and let's read it because it'll be brilliant because Leeds Rhinos are great. And uh, that's why I'm reading it. Yes, to just give you a little bit more uh, salt and pepper on that. Um, basically, Tony Smith is... what, what the, the premise of the book is that salespeople and sales teams are like sports teams. And therefore, the authors, Lynn Pickford and Tim Chapman, have teamed up with a number of different people from the world of sport to get their understanding of how they coach winning teams. Um, and Tony Smith is a co-author. And Tony Smith did lead Leeds Rhinos to our first title in 30 years back in 2004 and a couple of other subsequent titles thereafter. So he will forever be engraved on my soul as a great bloke. Um, and therefore, I did get suckered in by the authors when they approached us to cover the book a little bit at the thought of getting Tony Smith on the show. He's not Pep Guardiola, though, is he? I've got to tell you, at the time, we all thought he was a genius. Right, fair enough. We all thought he was Pep. He was like the Pep of rugby league. Cool, calm. He was sort of like a new voice in the way coaching got done. Okay, then. And he's always been very much on on the cutting edge. Let's talk about the book rather than rugby. Absolutely. So um, we're going to cover chapters one, two, and three today. So before we do, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, Mike. How relevant, really, are sports people to salespeople? Because that's the premise of the book. Well, the premise of the book, as I, I listened to it the other day, was that sport is an elite environment, pro sport. Yeah. Uh, and it's an elite performance-driven environment. And yep. you are as good as your last performance or as bad as your last performance. Yeah. And therefore their premise is that sales is an elite performance environment. Now you and I have spent a lot of time hanging around salespeople. I think we're both going to comfortably disagree that sales is an elite environment. Well, there yes, are there are lots some, of non elite. There are there are some elite sales environments. But actually, my real experience, how many of them are really elite performance driven? How many sales environments do we know are like, you know, if you watch a 
the documentary, I think there's some great documentaries. There was one I noticed on Netflix the other day about some great athletes and great sports teams. If you looked at most sales teams, are they really like Team Sky? Is it really, you know, in the Tour de France, is it really a truly elite environment? Because I mean, we'll get into the book in a minute, but because I, I tell you what I think about this is that I can see the similarities between a salesperson and between um, uh, a sports person, and actually, you know, a few salespeople have got sporting backgrounds. The fundamental difference, which is a massive, huge, mega difference, is that I think something that all elite salespeople are is clever. Whereas I think that something that all elite sports people are is they have some physicality that suits them. So I'm mates with a couple of rugby people, as you know. One was a rugby league guy, one was a rugby union guy. They're both massive. Yeah, they're genetically gifted. But they're genetically gifted physically. Whereas I don't think there are many thick elite salespeople. So I think the way you would coach a somebody who is clever which all elite salespeople are, and somebody who was maybe neither clever nor thick, but intelligence wasn't a prerequisite, I think could be different. Well, what's interesting is, you and I both know, Mike Mike has a mate who played international rugby um, for England. And he is clearly, you meet him, he's a big unit. He was a Well, you meet him and you go, guess the sport, and you go, rugby. Yeah, well, he's got flat nose and cauliflower ears. Of course, you do. Um, yeah, yeah. But he was. But it's there's a great argument in sport, isn't there? Which is, if you're a big, a lot of it is, if you're born at the right time of the year, you are therefore going to be bigger than the other kids in the class. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, going to be singled out as a potential athlete. You are therefore going to yeah. get more coaching than the other kids, and then you are therefore going to exceed the other kids, and therefore then get more coaching and therefore then get your 10,000 hours in and become an elite athlete. Yep. Um, And sales doesn't work that way. We aren't singled out as sales professionals at the age of, you know, my mate, Brian O'Pete runs the Bradford City Academies. They single the kids out at eight. Um, Amazing. Uh, Eight eight years old, they're singling them out. My point about the book is I get the, the... Similarity between sport and sales, but actually, I think sales is a lot of it's about brain power. Now, actually, clever people realise that they need to be in good physical condition to make the brain work. Yes, they do. Yeah, that that that's that sort of go. You know, you don't actually meet that many fat, unfit top sales guys or girls. And Mike, the really interesting thing is, how many truly elite salespeople do you know who were pro sportsmen? A few, but it's it's by no means the case. You know, you look at no, but uh, they do tend to. You know, you'll you'll see the odd CV. So and so, so and so played at played. Well, you at placed a guy Quebec. that played international hockey, didn't you? Like he started yesterday. Yeah, he is yeah. competitive, driven, intense. You know, a Everything lot of the triathletes or correct. Everything that made him an international class hockey player actually has translated into his sales career. But there's a lot of guys that are in the army, the same. Yes. I don't think the correlation between uh, sports and indeed military and sales is actually that strong. But I think what all the sales... Anyway, let's get onto the book. No, and we also know a lot of ex-soldiers who end up being dismal salesmen. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of ex-sportsmen who end up being terrible sales guys as well. Because they live off the fact that they... Oh, it's me, yeah. Do you not remember? I was a top athlete. 
but actually they don't translate it into their sales crews. So introduction, their point is if you signed a top athlete, you'd get a top coach to work with them. So yes. their point, the point they're making in the book is if you were Manchester City and you go out and sign Luis Suarez and Sergio Aguero, you would hire a top coach to bring the best out of them and support them. Yep. And yet they're saying in sales environments, organizations go out, spend money, sign top quality players, but actually don't invest that much in coaching. True. Yeah, and it is true, isn't it? That I often well, wonder. No, there, what... there is there is some truth in it, but not all the time, for sure. But, hmm. Yeah, fa- fa- I, I don't see a lot of coaching going on in our. But that's in our world, Mike. In the yeah. and I think we have, have a to world distinguish... that pays hundred k basic. How much coaching do you want? I've just paid hundred k. Paying you hundred k, go out and perform. Correct. Yeah. Do, do I need to wipe your ass as well for hundred k? that I think that's the mindset of a lot of the organizations we work with. Mm. Um, so the approach of the book, they've spoken to elite coaches from all walks of life, including... But they really have. I mean, let's get it right. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. book is well, well, well researched. It's extremely comprehensive, isn't it? And they've yes. got evidence that good coaching leads to increased sales. And, and, and then there's an argument of, well, why don't, good, why don't companies coach salespeople? I, I mean, for me, I think one of the reasons is it's a lack of respect for the craft, Mike. Um, there's lots of reasons that companies don't um, train good salespeople. One is this Americanization of having a playbook. Yeah. Why train you? You've got a playbook. Just follow it, Johnny. What's your problem? The second yes. is I'm, I'm in a puppy dog sale environment. Just have it for three for 30 days. Who cares? The third right. is I'm paying you 100K basic. So why but would I train Shut you? up. Why do I need to coach you? I'm paying you to go basic. Go get two million. Yeah, quid. you know, you get some. Uh, I was thinking about it last night. You get some nerdy set. So, I was just talking to a company before you and I came on the phone, and it the founder is a Oxbridge science nerd, very clever, very bright guy, right? And yep. it's a founder-led business. He's just had a massive round of funding, and now he's on the scale trail. Do you think he really? respects the craft of salesmanship. Well, that's another point, isn't it? Respecting the craft is a different thing. Does he sit there and think... I do agree with you, though. Oh, I must build an elite... He sat there with his baby software product in the medtech space that everybody's raving about and saying how it's going to save the NHS. Do you really think he thinks that he needs to hire a sales team and then make sure that they've been coached? I don't think he thinks that. I agree. I doubt he does. There aren't many companies coach salespeople. No. And then they've said here, you know, people are too busy, don't know how, aren't expected, aren't accountable for, it's not part of company culture, is it? As to why companies don't coach per se. There's a few reasons. You know, people are too busy. I'm dealing with a client at the moment, Mike. He's got uh, 16 salespeople in his team. He just doesn't, and he was saying to me today that he'd, uh, he was laughing because I, I was chasing up on the fact that he had a couple of people on personal improvement plans. And I was thinking, oh, there's got to be a vacancy in here. They, they won't have come through that. And actually, yeah, two, yeah. Out of the, two out of the three have come through. And um, Damn it. And he was a bit gutted, really. And I said, why are you so disappointed? And he said, because I've had to put a lot of work in to coaching and supporting them through those personal improvement plans. 
which has taken me off a lot of the work I needed to do. I've had to do it because they're long-term employees. So legally I've been pressured into what in reality is coaching and developing. And yeah, they've turned around, but why would they not turn around before that? And actually I don't have the time and the, the space to do that. And he yeah. gets, that team's just too big for him to be involved in coaching people on a regular basis. He's got too many other things to do in his, in his job description. Now you could argue, well, his job description is wrong and his role's wrong and maybe he needs a team leader or maybe he needs to actually go out and spend money on a coach. And he'd be, he's the director of football and he needs to actually hire somebody who's on the streets coaching his salespeople all day. Yeah. I, you know, and you're, you're now reading the bit, which is the case for coaching, where there's a, uh, uh, a quote from Ben Dorks, CEO of Ideagen. Yes. And he goes, we have got 30% productivity per salesperson increase over the last three years. Now, actually, I don't know Ideagen particularly well. I don't think I've ever spoken to Ben Dorks. I think I might be connected to him. But Ideagen hire grads, basically. They are yeah. people in the 20s. So if I take somebody in the 20 and teach them for three years, I'm going to get a great result because they didn't know anything to start with. I, I, and I yes. sort of thought, well, I don't necessarily think that's the best reference um, site. They sell to aviation. I reckon it's gone back down 30% in the last six months. And he also said, he also referred to it as a productivity improvement. He didn't refer to it as a revenue improvement. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're very specifically chosen words. They're more productive. Well, define productivity. I'd like a better definition on that quote. So, so this, this, this subsection is the case for coaching. Here's the point, Johnny. Do you think, do you think sales managers should coach salespeople? Oh, God, Mike, I've just got such mixed feelings about this. Well, so it's a closed question, yes or no? Yes, in some instances. I'm going to say no. You know I personally have incredibly mixed feelings about this. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say hire clever people. Yeah. Give them the access to the coaching. So get them a LinkedIn learning account or, you know, allow them to go on Millerheimen or whatever and leave them to it. Because I, th- I tell you what, I think that salespeople, by and large, are privileged and lazy. And I think... But in our world, Mike, yeah. In, in, in lots of worlds, Johnny. <laughs> you know, I, I, my, my mates are all sales guys, right? I went camping this weekend. I actually booked the day off. None of them did. They just turned up. So, really? you know, let, oh yeah, 100%. Um, so I think to myself, if I am a sales manager and I hire somebody and I give you access to the coaching, it's there, you can get it if you want, and you don't get it, that's your lookout. Because I think what does happen with this American playbook system is <clears throat> we force coaching people on people, we're putting lipstick on our own pigs, and then we're surprised when our pigs are pigs. Yeah, and then we're trying to coach the pig. Yeah. If they were going to take the coaching, they're going to take it. If they weren't going to take it, they weren't going to take it. So there you go. I think it's it's not quite as binary, Mike. I mean, I, I wrote yeah, here. Yeah, no, I've, said, I've said that to be. Yeah. You know. I wrote here, a lot of it for me is in the original hiring. Clients seldom care and sales leaders are not measured on how the people have got better. You know, yes. no, I, I, so I'm a sales leader. You, you've just got a, you've taken a job brief on today. Sales well, you, know, you know the question I asked him. I said, uh, yeah. you're going through a period of change. How bothered are you about coaching to, to retain said, I don't care. I just want to said, I don't care. I don't just, care. I don't care, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, how many clients, if I'm hiring a sales leader, how many sales leaders are measured 
How many sales leaders can turn up in a boardroom at the end of their first year and say, well, I'll tell you what, numbers are a bit stagnant, but oh, Dave's a miles better salesman than he was at the end of last year. And he and he's actually gone from being uh, 90% to target to uh, 94% to target. And that's because I've been coaching them on how to uh, approach clients better. That that doesn't wash. Nobody's going to sit there and go, it's not oh, like, for ex- it's not like, for example, uh, you know, you look at you look at a football team or a rugby team, and football teams and rugby teams in sport are judged by the fans, as, as Carl Fitzpatrick says in the book. You're judged by the fans. You're judged by social media. You're judged by the pundits on TV. You're judged by everybody, right? So let's just say you've got a team full of young guys. Um, you know, Leeds Rhinos is a pretty young team. This this year's Leeds team. And none of us went into this season expecting to win the title. And actually, our judgment of the manager is, do you know what? We're playing some nice rugby and we're coming along nicely. And everybody's coming out the stadium on a night thinking, well, I'll tell you what, this group's coming together beautifully. But there's no expectation that we'll win the title. Have you been we're winning in- games? But actually, we were winning games. And, we've lost it, and we got thumped in the first game of the season. And to be fair to the lads, they went away and worked on it. But you look at it before the lockdown and think, do you know what? This group, we could, I reckon this time next year, we could be title contenders. They'll learn a bit. It's young. They've brought a couple of mature players into it, the young ones. And you think, great. But in sales, that's not an acceptable scenario. Ooh, no, tell you, I'll tell you what, I've got a good young team here and next year I reckon we might hit some targets. I'm going to develop them and grow them and, uh, and we're, playing enter- we're, we're doing some really entertaining selling and we're, 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 we're selling our socks off and some of our deals have, oh, Christ, we got really close with that one. It's, it's too binary. I agree, yeah. And I think that's, for me, where it doesn't quite translate because anyway, how many sales leaders get that opportunity to develop a young team and have two, three years with them to grow them? They don't. They don't. Page 16. What's in this book for you as the sales professional? We haven't found any, as you know, about salespeople, concentrate just as hard on how to be coached. And I think he does make a good point. You know, when you interview a candidate, Jonathan, and you say to the candidate what you're looking for, how many, there is a small portion for me, but how many say, oh, I really want to go somewhere and be coached? Very few. I mean, I, I could probably find one if I looked. Yeah, they don't want that. No. They want to go somewhere. They, they go, I want to go somewhere and loads of cash. They want to go somewhere where the product is well-liked in the market, where it's market-leading, where the marketing's brilliant, and they walk into a shitload of leads they can go after and chase. No one ever said, oh, I really want to be coached. You get the odd one, don't you, where they say, listen, you, you get the odd one that's 29, 30, where they say, listen, I'm not the finished article and I'd love to work. But you're looking, at one, in a, you're looking at one a year, though. And then you get the odd really top one who's in his 40s or her 40s who will say, do you know, something that would be great would be to work for somebody who I can actually work with where I think I'm still learning and developing. But, I, I, but, they're, all, it, but they're a rarity. And it's never a primary focus of what people are looking for in a job it's okay though because malcolm wilstrop one of the uk's most respected squash coaches thinks that people should ready to be coached well and i actually i actually think that's more rel- i think squash is more relevant than team sports mike got well uh, uh, a I, I think they're both pretty irrelevant but b i get your point you're going to say that sales isn't a team game no 
No. And you're going to say that Tony Smith coaches a team. You coach a group and you bring a group together to create a group synergy. So you make the 13, the 17 guys that you put on the paddock on Friday night, you make them more powerful than the individual parts together. And you bring that group part of what makes a great football or rugby coach is the ability to bring a group together so that the group doesn't want to lose. Whereas how many sales teams are really a group that doesn't want to lose or a group that wants to win? Ah, oh, come on. Well, they, they want to win for themselves. <laughs> and then if the group wins, that's okay. But, you know, the metaphor of the sales guy is going to be the defender getting a ball and just trying to dribble it right to the front and have a crack at goal. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I, I have I, the ball. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've written a lot about this in my notes about this particular book. I just don't think sales is a team sport. Not, not in the same way sport's a team sport. No. You know, in a sport, you truly have to bring together a group. And it's such, so obvious when a team isn't a team, isn't it? To you, yeah, as, yeah, if, you yeah. if you know your football, you know your rugby, you can just look at it and just think, this group isn't dying for it. You can see it sometimes in a team where you think, these guys are dying for each other. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And they're doing it for each other. And then, so none, then none of them want to let the other down. That doesn't happen in sales teams. So then we go to chapter two. Yes. And he's talking about you as coach or in a coach. Um, I, I sort of quite like some of these bits, actually. He yeah. talks about what's in it for you. I can't remember exactly how words are or what page he's on, but he refers to winning pay now, which you know, you've always spoken about yeah. um, um, a lot. At this point, we can link, we can think how you say yes but where does the ego go but yeah and he talks about you know winning pay and that kind of thing um well i think a great question at the start of this chapter two is why why are you a coach so i went to the golf club the other week and had a golf lesson and i've actually paid like for a block of lessons now i really liked the, the, the the guy that gave me the lesson and i've given him money for a block of lessons why is he a golf coach to make money, I'd have thought. He's a golf coach because he didn't get on the tour. Yeah, exactly. That's why he's a golf coach. He's a lovely lad. And do you know what? He is really helping me. And I've got to be honest, the look on his face when I, he, he made a rapid improvement in my golf was as enjoyable as probably the look on my face at how happy I was to have fixed my problem. And I could tell that it was a really, truly satisfying moment for him as much as it was for me. So great. You know, he's probably a natural coach and he, you could see and the look on his face was, wow, Christ, I've proper nailed it with this guy. But actually, why is he a coach? He's a coach because actually he didn't get his tour card. Yeah, I agree. That's why he's my coach. That's why he's the teaching pro at Moralton Golf Club, not Tiger Woods. And um, the, the job brief that you take, because this is aimed at a sales leader, client briefs you for a sales leader, Johnny. So you've filled on recently in the security market. Yeah. Did the client say he was looking for somebody with, with good coaching skills? Well, actually, yes. And has your guy that you've placed got good coaching skills? Well, it's a fascinating one because I was talking to him the other day and when he took over the job, he was told that one of the guys was an underperformer. 
And one of the guys was a superstar. And he said, having got into the job, the guy that he was told was a superstar, he wants to kill. So he doesn't want to coach him. And the guy who was an underperformer, he said, he spent a bit of time with and given a bit of support to and done a bit of coaching with and actually has really upped his game. Okay. And he said, the one that's going to get the bullet is the one that they thought was a superstar was actually obfuscating a lot of stuff and was doing a very good job, almost doing a very good PR job with the Americans. He said, well, he's, a, he said he's a PR consultant, not a salesman. So my point was going to be uh, that not many clients really ask for people to no. be coaches. Uh, and, and, then I, I was, and then I was going to ask you, when you ask a sales leader, you know, what they think about coaching, or where coaching would well, be on the list of skills that they put on the CV. It's not very high. No, not, me- not many, but some do. And actually, one of the key elements of that particular vacancy was we want somebody who is a coach and a developer of salespeople. Because I, I think this chapter about you and your inner coach is really important. Um, In what way? It's a really important part of the book, I think. What, why I think you do- if you, I think if you bought this book... As their sales, because let's be clear, there's not much sales leadership training out there, really. So you might, so you might elect to self-train. You might think, yes. oh, "I'm going to buy a book on self-leadership." I think you'd get to chapter two, and I think a lot of a lot of would-be coaches would just read this and go, "Yeah, I'm not going to do any of that. I don't want to be a coach." Well, like, like what? Just like just loads of it. In in fairness, so when you talk, when so when he talks about here. He talks about what are in it for you. So not what's in it for you, but what are in it for you. Must be because he's a rugby player. Now, Mike, I think the cup, you're looking at the pre-edited version. Oh, am so I? It does say all over the page on your iPad. I'm not reading my iPad. I've got the book. Oh, did you buy the hard copy? This is the all book, right. yeah. Oh, the editor obviously missed the typos. I've got the pre Oh, there's loads, of ty- there's loads of typos in it, actually. Right. But anyway, so it's a slightly separate thing. They're sort of selling the concept of being a coach and what you've got to do. And, 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 I, and, I, and I, you know, he says here, the number one motivator for our coaches, 83% of those interviewed, is the satisfaction in seeing an individual or team achieving what they want to achieve. A bit like you and the golf coach. I just don't think that's what sales managers want. I just think they want results. <laughs> I don't think they want to be coaches, really. You know, having placed and dealt with quite a few of them over 20 years. And I don't think they're going to be into this chapter. And then, therefore, I don't think they're going to pick it up and do it. You know, understanding yourself better, they're not going to want to do that, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's an important chapter because it talks about self-improvement and integrity and authenticity. Self-awareness. And yeah. All those things, they are, without any doubt, important to being a good salesperson and therefore sales leader. But I just don't think many of the sales leaders are going to want to do it, really, actually. It's not so much as, a, as an action item of what they do or don't want to do. I think it's, an, it's more a question of, if I'm on a, I don't know, I'm some sales leader at some cybersecurity company. I get to the end of the year. What's more important to me? Hitting the number or knowing that I've developed and grown my team? Exactly. Now, what they're, point. They're, and what they're saying is, well, you've got to want to be a coach. And I think very few leaders really do. I think most, uh, I think particularly in the universe you and I occupy, which is 
senior level sales roles in the tech space, a, a lot of the leaders just want to earn loads of money and not be a salesman. So there's a lot of leaders who just don't want to be salesmen. That's why they're doing it. But we do meet the odd one where actually they grow. And, you know, if customers ever ask me, what should I be talking to about hiring, talking to the client candidates about when I'm hiring and I'm hiring a sales leader, I always say there's two, probably two key things. One is give me some examples of where you've made a salesperson better than they were and you've improved their results. And the other yep. is give me an example of the programs and projects that you've put in place that have made a difference to the bottom line without spending more money. Without spending more money. Because actually so many sales leaders are quote unquote top guys, but when you really dig beneath the surface of it, they're top guys because they joined company X and they had a recruitment budget to go out and double the size of the team. And then they, they yes. therefore doubled the turnover. Yeah, I was top guy, double turnover there. Were you really top guy? Or actually did you just double turnover? And yeah, they manage the team and they manage the cadence. Well, I put a post about it on LinkedIn today. But did you really bring any value add other than actually that you spent the company's money wisely, which you would say about some football and rugby managers? Yes. There's lots of football managers out there that we all think are absolutely wonderful because actually they spent wisely in the transfer market. Tony Smith spend any money on players? Tony didn't spend that much money on players. He, he, he was, but he inherited a fabulous young team and he did do a fabulous job with a very talented young group. Oh, good for him. Yeah. And then he, and then he picked up a couple of players. He picked up a fella called Ali Lawatiti midway through his first season. And he was like really a bit of icing on that cake, really. Was he any good at Ali? Oh, he's just great. Very lovable. Page 40, he puts closing thoughts. And I think this is a really important one. Get your hands off the wheel. Yeah. I think that... We're still on chapter two, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I think that is very, 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 very relevant in sales, particularly as a sales manager. And the point being is that I know lots of companies where the sales leaders are always busy in deals with the salespeople. Yeah, well, because Those they, companies they c- are invariably not as successful as where the sales leaders are not involved in every deal. Yeah, it's very easy, isn't it? We've all done it. I've done it. I've done loads of it when we've had bigger teams where in reality, you know, I was, re- I was reading part of it last night where they're talking about spoon feeding where you and I both know I've sat there and literally spoon told people, right, write this down. This is what you're going to say to the customer on the next call. Yeah. And it's just not sustainable. It's not scalable. Well, it's, it's not a good it, thing that's to the do. point. It, it, it's not, you can do it, but your burnout rate, it's unbelievably exhausting. And more specifically, it doesn't scale. And more specifically, there's no synergy in spoon feeding people. So if I spoon feed you once, I will have to spoon feed you again. And then we develop a coaching relationship that's not a coaching relationship. I'm just a teat upon which you suck, Mr. Salesman. Yes, I agree. You just become literally, they just come to you, right, what do I say next? And actually what you're really doing is running multiple campaigns yourself with other people speaking on your behalf. Exactly. And And you see that a lot. You can always see it almost in the way that the clients that you engage with behave when you engage with them. They've never got time to talk to you. 
too busy, they're too busy, they're too busy. Why? Because they're too busy out on the road working everybody else's deals. Yes, I think that they're working on everybody else's deals rather than observing and then offering coaching advice. But the hard thing is it's so hard to do, I think, as a sales leader. Well, say this, you've got a deal that's worth half a million quid. You sat there next to your guy and he's messing up. What are you going to do? You're going to step in, full stop, that's it. Yeah, oh, he's going to drop the ball. I'll tell you what, I'll just wait. I'll wait till he's dropped the ball. And then when he's dropped the ball, I'll give him a couple of days to cool his heels because I know he's going to be upset. Yeah, and then we'll do a coaching session. And then I'll bring him in. I'll meet him for a coffee and do a coaching session and ask him how he felt that call, that meeting went. When's that, or, when is that ever going to happen? Or do you wade in and stop the guy from losing the deal? And then get in the car and say, look, mate, I'm really sorry. I've just dived in on you there, but you were making a bollocks of it. Exactly. Chapter so, it's three. A tough one. so chapter three, they talk about the outer coach, skills and behaviours of great coaches. So you've got the coaching relationship. Uh, it's sort of like a nine key part thing. Yeah, and let's be fair, you know, this book, I don't, you know, there's like a lot of these things I don't, I don't like about it. The writing is tiny. It takes ages to read. <laughs> But I've been listening really, to it as an audiobook. It's really well presented. It's very, very well done. I like the big the big picture with the nine thingies. So yeah, the first really bit is smart. they talk about the coaching relationship. Now I've got mixed feelings about coaching relationships. You and I both know I've had some incredibly successful coaching relationships as a sales leader in my in my career. I've also had some that completely wore me out. You're quite quiet, actually. You need to get close to your microphone. Uh, I was saying I've had some very successful periods in my coaching career. Yeah as a sales leader. And I've also had some that have utterly worn me out. Yeah. Some of which have almost become incredibly toxic. Have we not? They become toxic in the end because people get sick of you telling them stuff and you get sick of telling them stuff. You create resentment that resentment turns into toxicity and that's it. And that's a, you know, that's weakness on my part. And as I was listening to this last night, I walking the dog, it really made me reflect on some of the coaching I've done with, salespeople in my career and you know, there's lots of people out there i met a guy for a beer a while ago who moved to australia and he came back he was in the uk and, and he you know he said you know i'll never forget some of the things you taught me and some of the things i learned from you but at the time I felt like i was pulling sodding teeth with him yeah and that's le- the point i made 20 minutes ago you offer it to them if they want it they can have it if they don't want it they're gonna leave yeah. You can lead the horse to water, but you cannot, you cannot make, it, make drink. it drink. And actually, you know, the relationship of toxicity actually became, comes about when people are making people drink. Yeah. And we've, and I, I've, making people drink. And I've also found, let's get it right. Coaching is different at different levels. And they do point that out in the book that if you've got uh, a young, so if you've got, I suppose, in sales terms, if you've got a graduate, you're going to do a lot more telling and a lot more teaching. If you've got a 53-year-old sales guy, you're going to do a lot more asking. How are you? What do you need? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Yeah. What we found was when we were building larger teams, was we were just doing a lot of parenting. You never yes. even – you, you, with certain people, you, what you realize is, actually, am I a parent here? Because actually what you're really solving are pathetic, simple well, you, life yeah. problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from a coaching perspective, you're making them drink so that they don't dehydrate and die and they're ungrateful for it. Yeah. But, but then the parenting thing, you're right. You know, you talk to people about making sure they get plenty of sleep and stuff. 
you know, literally, nightmare. how much sleep have you had last night? Nightmare. Now, some people would say, well, that's good coaching. But really, you've got some millennials sat at a desk. You're sat there going, look, you look a bit tired, mate. And the client's just eating you alive. What do you reckon? What do you reckon's behind that? Oh, I don't know. I just, I just can't think straight. All right. Why do you reckon you can't think straight? Oh, I don't know. What? How much sleep did you get last night? Oh, I went to bed at two after I finished my Netflix box. So I got up at seven. So you got five hours kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm all right on five hours kit. Really? I, I am actually, because I rarely sleep longer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So observation is his next point, one of his next nine points. How often do we stop, look, listen, and sense what's going on with someone at work? Well, never. Um, More difficult you know now. I, 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 yeah, see, in a remote environment, much harder. I always found, I, I used to come back from a holiday when we had the, the bigger teams, and I could come back from a holiday, and it, you almost get like a golden observation window because you've had two weeks away from them, and that space gives you opportunity to observe. And it gives yeah. you an observation window that's amazing. And I always used to remember I'd come back from holiday and I'd just sit there for about two hours with my pen and paper in the room, quietly at the back of the room, watching. But actually, how often do people really do that? How many, how many people get the opportunity to do that? Not many. Not many. I mean, let's be fair, pre-COVID, you know, how much observation time does one of our clients have with one of their salespeople? I'd, I'd, I'd love to do a survey of that. Well, I'd, I'd be surprised if it was an hour a month. Of how many sales leaders have actually got I'm, in the car. I'm talking observing. I'm not talking going through deals and stuff like that, you know, way out with this, way out with that. I'm talking actually sitting there and watching someone. But it's all right in sport because you sit on the sidelines and you watch them all the time. Well, also, how many salespeople, you know, how many senior level salespeople would tolerate it? Most of them won't tolerate it. They think it's an immediate imposition. So, you know, one of, what, what's one of, my, my boss wants to come on visits with me. I don't want him on a visit with me. I'm, I'm, I'm too long. The phrase we get is, I'm too long in the tooth for that. I did that 20 years ago. Like I'm some kind of kid. Exactly, yeah. But actually, his intentions Rory, are probably... Rory McElroy has lessons. Yeah, Rory McElroy's coach goes out on the course with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rory McElroy's coach is sat there saying, Rory, what are you thinking right now before you hit that shot? And top athletes do actually sit in a video. You know, what's the first thing that happens in every football club and rugby club on a Monday? Probably they all go in, do a bit of physio, and then the next thing they do, they're all sat looking at game tape. Right, tell me about this. Let's stop the tape. What's happening here, guys? Oh, yeah, uh, we, we, were, we weren't concentrating. Right, okay, how come? That, exactly. That's what's going on. But actually, salespeople don't want that. They don't. They're, they're comfortable with the next one. Feedback without freaking people out. I actually think uh, as a, a, you know, it's based on you having done some um, observation, obviously, but let's assume that you have done the observation. I think salespeople are all right for taking feedback, actually. I find that when we some sit down awesome. and talk... Oh, I think that most of them are, actually. Um, now, here's one for you. Um, uh, he's on a, we're still talking about coaching, how it works. He says, ask more than tell. But they do say later on in the chapter that there's a continuum of asking and telling. I can't depending remember that. On, Yeah, right. depending on the maturity level of the individual. So you tell a lot to an immature individual, whereas a more mature individual you ask. But then there's a tipping point where 
you know, I've been there where you've sat there saying, so tell me about this. How did the, how did that call go? Yeah, it was all right. Where actually at some point the individual sat there saying, listen, mate, just fucking tell me how to fix it. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much like that with a sales guy. I have it with, um, you know, when we, when we buy stuff or whatever, and the sales guy's just asking me questions or when I'm having something designed or something and they go, well, I just don't want this. Just tell me what you reckon. I'm here because yeah. I want your opinion. Just, just get on with it. I don't tell me your opinion. want you to ask me all these questions. Tell me your opinion. It was on. interesting because when I had that golf lesson the other week, he, he videoed my swing for about two minutes from different angles. He said, hit one, hit another one, hit another one. And he came back to me and he socially distanced, obviously. He showed me his phone with, and he's, he's got this app on his phone where it draws lines on the plane of your swing, and where you are and your body and, and, and stuff. And he started off the lesson with just showing me the video and said, what do you reckon? Yes, but he didn't know because the app was telling you because it had plain lines of the swing on yeah. it. Without the lines of the swing, you might have got it, but you wouldn't have got it as good as you did. No. So he's, a, he's used his app and I've gone, oh God, I'm hunched over the ball like a little old fella. And he went, all right, what would you do about that? And I went, oh, I'm going to pull my shoulders back a bit, get them back straight, try that. Is that right? Things to do. And he went, we'll give it a go. Next thing, an armor rifling balls at the range. You see, see, that just shows the difference in approaches to different people. He would have irritated me. I would have said, "Listen, I don't want you asking me questions. I just want me to tell you what the answer is." Yeah, That's what I'm fix my, Just fix my swing. I'm just desperate. tell me what to do. I'm close to tears walking off the golf course. Yeah, just, just fix tell me what my to swing. Do. But that's but that's the different strokes for different folks, isn't it? Yeah, but that worked for me. And it's like you say, different coaching relationships, and that's now going to be the nature of my coaching relationship with him, isn't it? And what do you think about this section? Create an environment for success. If you haven't got a healthy culture, nobody's going to put their hands up. Now, uh, I think in uh, IT sales, some of the best cultures have actually been a culture of fear. Ooh. And I don't think this guy would agree with that. What, like, what are you thinking? I'm thinking CA... PTC, What's CA in the 90s? B, BMC, you know, all those kind of companies. And yeah, all right, they might phone in and try and sue us or something like that. Who I don't actually care. Because um, actually, if you spoke to somebody in a lot of sales environments, and I purposely haven't mentioned current ones, actually, in a lot of sales environments, was it a culture of coaching or was it a culture of fear they were cult they were coaching driven cultures though they were re for example that ptc culture in the 90s they hired young lads who were the, the the job spec was 25 Clever. single highly intelligent driven salespeople that want to grow and what do you think Howard jackson's they culture took them, was they took them to america put them on a 12-week boot camp brought them back, wound them into a frenzy and coached the living daylights out of them. They did coach them, but how did they get people to do the coaching? They were, well, they knew that if they weren't up for taking the coaching and they knew that if they weren't up for learning and if they weren't up for growing and developing, that they were fired very rapidly and unceremoniously. Which created a culture of fear. Yes. Howard Jackson, that was a fear culture. Yeah, I'm sure. Back, in the, back in the late 90s, but it made loads of money. Yeah, yeah, it did. And that's my point about sales. I think sales works better in a culture of fear. I don't agree now. I don't believe that 
you and I, how old were you? 21 when you came to work at IRC? Jack at, at Howard Jackson. Yeah, I yeah. was 24, 25. This, the 21, 24, 25-year-olds now would not tolerate that culture. And how are they going to survive in the recession? They're going to wither and die. And what they and won't what's tolerate the, it, Mike. Well, that's yeah. I mean, you are right. I they do won't agree with tolerate you. it. They won't tolerate what that they won't tolerate that culture. It's interesting because I've got another they, client. They, they would say they had been triggered. I've been triggered. You've triggered they, me. Uh, so so and, they would, cl- and they would say that they had been abused. So I've got this client that I spoke to this morning at eight. Met him online at eight. Um, and uh, he's he's got some grads. Hates them. Absolutely hates them. <laughs> like he really hates them. Right. And what he really hates about them is, he said, when I started selling in the mid nineties, he always refers to his book. I can't, it's not the Yellow Pages, but it was a business directory. Kelly's, Kelly's I directory. I can't remember Kelly's let's, directory. Let's say it was. He said I was given Kelly's directories in a directory and a phone, and I, and I just didn't leave until I got something out my day. He yeah. said if I had to stay there, and I said why did you do that? He said because I was frightened. Thought I was going to get fired. And, 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 and he said to me about the current set of millennials, he said, he said, they're not millennials, they're Gen Zs, whatever they are, people in the mid twenties. He said, I can't do that with them, but they'd be so much better off if I did. Yes. Cause they'd say, you've triggered me. You've made me anxious. You've given me anxiety. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I agree. So, so the question uh, is, is for those, uh, let's just extend those people to what we're talking about before is, if I gave them the option to take coaching, would they take it? Don't know. Yes, I think they would. I, I do think actually. Do you reckon? They'd be more, I think actually this younger generation of grads are probably more, more open to being coached than we were. We were, we just got kicked, Mike. Yeah, we yeah, I get kicked. it. We were kicked into performing. Nobody really coached us. It was, Get on with it. And if you really, really look like you're really up for it, I will come and spend time with you and support you. Well, it was that, or if you asked a close question, somebody used to throw a pound coin at you. <laughs> yeah. That used to happen. Yeah. Or fire an elastic band pellet at you. Close question. Don't do it again. Yeah. Across no, the I don't room. think I don't think this book is going to say that that's a good idea. You're bullied for, for doing stupid well, things. Was it bullying or was it just a bit of hazing? Hazed, hazed. It was hazing, wasn't it? It wasn't. It was bullying, hazing, was it? yeah. Hashtag me too. Hashtag survivor of Howard Jackson. All that, all that. <laughs> so the first but, three chapters of this. So go. But, but they've been, you know. I don't know. They they talk about giving feedback, and you know, you look at people we've had. Remember Pete Boltby? Yep. Pete Boltby, you couldn't tell him off. Pete Bolby had just a very different way of needing to be supported. But he wanted it. I can remember him asking advice and he cracked on. Correct. You had Pete had to come to you. And that's that's good. I suppose people would look at that and say, Do you know what, Johnny? That was good coaching. Well, he was a clever guy as well. Probably still. He was intelligent and you had a relationship with Pete where you knew when he was in need of help, he would ring you and say, I need help. Whereas others have to be cajoled, forced, pushed. But I don't think most people want to be elite performers, Mike. I think a lot of people just want to survive, don't they? Yeah, let's get it right. If we went on LinkedIn now, 
and got 200 responses from salespeople in the IT industry. Honest responses. Honest responses. To what extent do you covet and value the concept of being a truly elite level performer in sales at the same level that somebody would be an elite level performer as an athlete? I think it would be 3%. It it would. Elite. You're a bit quiet now. It would. Sorry. It's all right. It would. If you take into account what elite level athletes have got to do. You know, everybody wants to be a premiership footballer, but also everybody wants to go out and party when they're 16. Correct. But premiership footballers don't. No. So do you want to be a premiership footballer enough or not? And the same is true of elite level selling, isn't it? Yeah, I want to be an elite level seller, but no, nah, I, I don't want to do any personal training at the weekend. What, no stand chance. in front of the mirror and practice overcoming? Yeah, I don't want to do no, that. I'm not doing that. So that's what you're referring to there. Yeah. So, so these first three chapters, Jonathan... I mean, they've got us talking, but we haven't talked that much about the book, really. The book really? is a, no, and I think, but but they did say there is a point they make in the book, which is if we've got you talking about it and we've got you thinking about it and you're referring to it, we've done our job. Yeah, I mean, they that is very clear that they do state that in the book. Well, fair enough. I, I found the book quite boring, actually. Right. Okay. I, I mean, that, that, it's clearly well referenced, but there's just too much. There's too many quotes in it. Too many quotes from people that aren't that relevant to our universe. Just too many quotes. Full stop. There's like Carl five Fitz, quotes. Carl Fitzpatrick, who is the CEO of Warrington Wolves, and some guy who is from. Well, like, oh, you won't believe this. I have actually opened this at random. Um, and when we asked David Nixon, OBE, artistic director of Northern Ballet. Well, why do I care what he thinks? Well, to be fair, Mike, Northern Ballet is an extremely elite environment. Pretty good for them, but why but didn't he dance, ask them a sales Is dance a team or sport? Is dance a team sport? No. You know, it, they, we they dance asked, in a troupe and we all dance in time, but dancers, they're all in it for themselves. Yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, Everybody yeah. wants you, the solo. you ever seen me dance, you would know that um, I would never make the cut on that, I'm afraid. And it still comes back to my point, which is I really don't think sales is a team sport. Sales is golf. You know, it's a bit like the Ryder Cup, isn't it? Everyone gets really excited about the Ryder Cup. Yeah! USA versus Europe. It's team golf. Wow. Isn't it, isn't it? It's not real team golf. It's our ex-many golfers versus your ex-many golfers, and we get points for wins and points for losses, and it's Europe versus USA. And the guys want to do it for each other and no one wants to let everybody down. But it's not really a team game. It's a bit like saying, for, you know, Formula One, all right. It, people say, it's a team sport, it's a team sport. Come on. I mean, I, 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 mean, I agree completely. Come on. Formula One's a team sport. I know. And actually, the guys that build the cars, they probably are a team. But actually, when Lewis Hamilton's on the podium, he's thinking, yeah, I did it for the team. No, he's not thinking that. No, he's not, I agree. You know? He's not thinking that, is he? Or Chris Froome, when he stood on the podium on the Champs-Élysées. Yeah, I did it for Team Sky. No, he did it for himself. He's been doing right. it for himself since he was 11 years old. Envisaging the moment. Oh, yeah, I've done it for the team, Team Sky. Yeah, all, all I wanted to do was, was uh, win, a, win a tour for my corporate sponsors. <laughs> right on that note Johnny so next so week next week what are the three chapters we're going to go through next week oh, God I hope they're short
<laughs> it, is a, it is a treacherous book, this. It is, but do you know what? I think if I'm a sales leader, it's got me thinking about leadership. It's got me talking about leadership, and it's got me talking about coaching and thinking I, about I, I, it. I wouldn't, lead this. I wouldn't read this if I was a sales leader. Um, Thus far, I prefer Keith Rosen's book on sales leadership. I tell you, it doesn't Very have. early in the history of book club. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what it doesn't have enough of is uh, a model that I can follow. No, and Keith Rosen's book was very practical. Yeah, full. Of, it was full of scripts and models. Exactly on starting coaching relationships. Actually, words you can say. I'm going to be your coach, and this is how we're going to do it. It was full of that and processes, whereas this is almost like a philosophical treatise of coaching winning teams. Yes, it is. Yes, it it is. absolutely is. Chapter four, being coached. Chapter five, structuring process and models. Chapter six, preparing to coach. To coach. And that, do you know, if the listeners of Book Club actually knew the toil I went through to read some of these books, they would definitely click like and share more. <laughs> they would if they knew that we actually really do read them all. Yeah, don't want to read this, no? Well, it's taking up reading time from other things. I could be reading a good Roy Grace novel. Yeah, well, I've never heard of him, but yeah. He's a detective. Absolutely. In Good. Brighton. He's a detective in Brighton. It's like the murder capital of the world. Is it a dangerous place to live, Brighton? Good Lord, you won't want to live in Brighton with Roy Grace about. That's funny. Right. Horrific psycho killers. And at that, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>